Once upon a time, we were taught stories of princesses in castles and knights in shining armor. But now it's time for a new story, an AE story. This is Divina Lara with another chapter of an AE story, and my guest today is Stephanie White. And what association are you with, Stephanie? I am with the Mobile Area Association of Realtors and the Gulf Coast MLA. Welcome, Stephanie. How many members do you have at your association? We have about 1,350 with the association and about 1,750 with our MLA. Oh, that's awesome. So, how long have you been in the industry? I started in 1995 as a result of a car accident. I lost my job uh, because I couldn't drive for six months, and I did what everybody else does when they move. In Florida, I got a realtor license, so I didn't have a clue of what I was doing, just thought I had some background in credit, banking and finance, and I figured that was an easy transition, so I uh, started as a realtor, did that for about nine years, and then I decided at seven months pregnant that it would be a really small idea to get my broker's license and I open my own company, so I had my own brokerage firm in Tallahassee for about three more years after that, and then my husband got an opportunity to move to Jacksonville. This job, and I moved up there and become a managing broker for a national franchise. That's awesome. And then, so when did you transition into the association? That would have been about eight or nine years ago. I had an opportunity. Um, I was at a Florida Realtors convention and I had a friend over in the Dustin Walk Market, and she had been, she had already approached me about coming to work over there, but at the time, my husband and I were kind of dug in. I was actually the president elect at the Northeast Florida Association of Realtors over in Jacksonville. So I wasn't too inclined to move, but my husband was in a, a business of banking and finance, and when a great market correction took place, his yes. job got eliminated, and my got cut back. And then when I ran into her, I, she was like, just talk to the CEO. And I said, okay. And I texted my husband while I was at the conference, do you want to move to Dustin? And he said, I'm packing right now. So went over there and became the education and, and um, right at the time when you were at the border of becoming president, right? I was president-elect. President-elect. September, too. Uh, oh, my God. I was like thinking, you know, you should um, wait until become president or jump back and forth so you can leave where the crown, I mean, where the, uh, I'm <laughs> the sorry, tiara. the tiara, as we say, it's not, right, as the president. So um, in the transition from leadership to the CEO, um, would, would you say that it helped prepare you for that position. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that it's helped me just be empathetic to what the members deal with. I recognize what it's like to be trying to get a deal to closing and need a service and a, a product that we can make available. And that's something that I really talk to the staff about a lot as well. It was hard though, you know, initially going from the volunteer and to the staff side, just the whole perspective was different and I had been heavily involved in ethics. I was a professional standards um, chairperson at NEPAR as a volunteer. Oh, that's awesome. So part of my job as education director was also to be the professional standards administrator on the staff side and I think knowing all of that from being a chair was very helpful, but then on the staff side, you kind of step back and do the administrative side, so it was a whole new learning process. But it Absolutely, you know, that background helped me be more efficient and better at helping the committee move forward and get their job done. You know, you just brought up something. So, wearing the admin hat um, on the pro standard side and being on the, on the uh, volunteer side for the pro standards, uh, you have to look at cases differently. 
Yeah, yeah. So was that a bit of a challenge for you, though? Then it's definitely a challenge because you are, as a volunteer, you have an opinion. Right. You are supposed to have an opinion. That's what you're in place for. And as a staff person, you know, you're more of a um, a facilitator, you give guidance, you give advice, right. but it's not as much about my decision as a staff person, it's about the volunteer's decision. So certainly, after chairing as many hearings as I had the opportunity to do, and I teach ethics now, and coming in and you know, really sometimes have to kind of bite your tongue right. when you kind of see a conversation going down a certain path. but. What I have learned in, in not just ethics but in every facet of this profession is that if you give people a chance to work through it, they will. And I just tend to not be as patient and want to get to the bottom line. So that's been my um, project for the last two years or so is to really focus on pulling back a little bit and let people get there in their time as opposed to be driving it to that bottom. So a question that I have for you is dealing with your leaders, being a leader yourself. Dealing with um, being on a board of directors on that level, how do you deal with that then as a CEO? Now sitting in a CEO position in a board meeting and having to work with your leadership, how does how do you face that challenge? Well, it's hard. It's definitely hard. I, again, want to have a book. You know, it's hard to sit in there. And I'm, I've been a part of seven local associations and two state associations and worked in leadership a good bit. I actually helped several local leadership academies chair those and help facilitate those on the staff side. So stepping into the role of not having that voice as much is difficult because you have an opinion and you've had experiences that are valuable to draw those opinions on, but that's not my role anymore. So it's sometimes you just really have to sit back and sing a song in your head. Or <laughs> Let them work through the conversation. Exactly. So as a as AEs we, we do face that challenge. So our board sets those policies and we have to implement them. And sometimes in those rooms we can maybe voice a little bit of our opinion or you know say what we mean. And then but then we have to whether we agree or disagree, we have to we have to follow through with those policies that are set. How how do you accomplish it? How how do you how do you do that? How do you want that? Well, I mean, part of it is, is going more to a 30,000-foot level. You want to work with your existing leaders to make sure that you bring in appropriate leaders. One of the worst things that an organization can do is let somebody step up who isn't the right culture fit. Right. Because one person can do incredible damage if they're in the right position. So if you build that culture and you get your team on the same page, then it's easier to transition through making the decisions that are best for the organization. If you get that rogue person in the lineup who's building their resume or has, you know, I've got one thing we need to change kind of mindset, then it can cause a lot of disruption and it makes it very difficult, not only for the staff, but for the other leaders who are there because they want to do things that are the association. And it's easy to get distracted. Right. You bring up another great topic. I mean, I, I'm loving talking to you because you, you are a very similar mindset as myself. Is how do you do that? How do you start working with the leadership that you have and moving the appropriate people into leadership that have a similar mindset of where the association needs to go with the strategic plan and everything? And with my 
my answer used to be and would still be when we get there is a local leadership development program really shows the true color to people. Um, when I did these in some Florida associations that I worked at, part of our program took them to the convention. So you don't really learn about a person until you see them with one too many drinks. Yeah. And then you figure out <laughs> where they're coming from. True colors. It really does. Yeah. You know, putting them in an environment where they're on a state level with so many other people and so many opportunities to network, but also to potentially get in trouble. You, you kind of see what you're going to be dealing with if these people move up, and not just on that level, but also just the engagement in general and how they handle the projects and the teamwork that is involved in the programs. And everyone is different. But each one has similar components. So I think that is an amazing way for a local association to have an opportunity to see them. It's almost like a beta test of how are you going to function under pressure making decisions as a leader. And you can kind of weed some people out. But lacking that, which currently we don't have that on our local level, but you have committees. You know, put people in committee chair and vice chair positions or appoint people that you think might be a good leader as a task force chair, let them work on one small project. And it gives you a chance, not only as staff men, but your other leaders and your nominating committee, or however you do that, to see them in action. How do they engage with other people? Do they listen? Do they ask, pull out answers from other people? Or do they just dominate and drive based on what their agenda is or their mission? Yeah, that's great. That is awesome. Some great advice. Um, we were we had uh, when we, before we had our little glitch here. <laughs> we um, we talked about your staff, and you have a great thing you're doing with your staff. Would you share that with us, please? Well, I like to make sure that the staff understands what it's like to be a realtor. Is that the part? Well, we were talking about how you brought in some um, college students. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Our yeah. Intern. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah, we're, this is our third intern. The first first intern I had, um, and these are from the University of South Alabama, our, one of our past presidents runs the real estate department up there, so we've got a nice connection. And he has kind of presented some people to me, and so the first one, she was fabulous, hired her permanently, and then her boyfriend um, was in the Virgin Islands selling yachts and invited her to move down there. And I just couldn't compete with that. Yeah. So she laughed. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you can compete with that. I don't think anybody can compete with that. I think so. I um, my second one was, you know, okay, and then the one I've got right now, I'm hoping that's going to turn into something permanent as well. That's so awesome. Two out of three is not bad, but it gives us an opportunity to have some extra hands, especially yeah. when we have our big activities and functions. We have a huge off pack auction, and awesome. we raised about $35,000. Wow! So it's a big deal, and our members love coming to it. We just went online last year. So just categorizing and putting everything in the system and taking the awesome. Yeah, it's been great to have them helping out. Oh, tell us about your auction. This is this is wonderful. Well, yeah, I wish I could take credit. They've been doing it there long before I got there, but um, it is a cultural thing again. You know, this association values our and recognizes the value of it, and we've been able to build it up even more. Not just the auction, but taking it online. We've already we, our auction's gone until next Thursday, and we've already got about six or seven thousand dollars. Bidding online, wow. so that's exciting. But our organization has benefited from PAC dollars and just you know, issues mobilization money, independent expenditures. And when we tell our members those examples, as opposed to just our PAC, I mean, that goes over their head. That doesn't mean much to them. But if I can tell them our mayor was elected because we got over $100,000 worth of in-kind services from an independent expenditure, 
Yeah, that's real. They can, they can recognize that. Yeah, right, yeah. Absolutely. They can see the work that's being done. That's amazing. And what kind of items do you guys auction? Oh my goodness. Uh, well, the big thing this year seems to be patio furniture. I oh, do well, you're, you're, something yeah, different. yeah. <laughs> Um, we've done, you know, the eye watches, uh, the Apple watches. Um, oh my gosh, that's awesome. uh, Grills are always big wine coolers. Yeah. Too, very well, you're in Florida, right? Yes. Yeah, there you go. That's well, why no, you're I'm in Alabama. Alabama, yeah, yeah, yeah. South Alabama. Yeah, well, when the people will go outside, they're outside. I'm in the Bay Area. We're, okay. Yeah, so there's, well, right now we're like on our 13th storm, so we're like sure. cold all the time, but yeah. But you know, that's awesome. Yeah. That is amazing. It's a lot so, of fun. Yeah, so um, member engagement. Yeah, it sounds like you have <laughs> we, yeah, it's, it's the conundrum because yeah. um, you know I, I did when I got the one of the first things I did was I went to finance and asked them for the money to hire a staff person to focus on communications and government affairs exclusively. So they did give me funding to add a position, which was huge because prior to that, you know, it was just whoever had time would shoot out some random email, but there was no rhyme or reason to it, no system being used, and certainly no tracking of open rates. And so we have really beat that up. We have constant contact. We use Mailchimp for a while too, and I think they're interchangeable. Right. Yeah. Um, and then we we do a lot of social media. We have pretty good engagement on our Facebook page, and we do some Twitter and Instagram as well. Um, we've looked at the texting. The cost seems kind of silly. Um, you know, we've done surveys with our members, and most people say they want email. Um, I will tell you that we probably average about a forty percent open rate, which statistically that's, that's really is good. good. That's really good. But it's still disappointing as yeah. anything because you know. We've a lot of thought and effort into these emails. We've started drip campaigns for our new member orientation classes. Right. So they get their own special email. We do videos in the emails and we try to all do some, our leadership will do some. So we, you know, I feel like we kind of try everything, right? We have the fortune with it. Yeah. And, um, you still have a tour of a certain percentage of your members who are going to read what you say. And, you know, I had just somebody the other day, like, well, I never got that. And then you go pull it up and, yeah, well, you've received this four times. Right. You open it, but yeah. you get it. Oh, it's just like with Billy, and I, I love the calls when you say, I never got it. And it's like, do you get the mail? Because I still send out paper bills. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, no. I do. I do. Yeah. Because it's like, literally, I mean, we send emails and paper bills, even still. And, and yeah, but you know what? It's a, you would be amazed how many people still send in their bills. I, that's crazy to me. I just I'm I'm like I'm try everything you know, because it's like I'm try, I'm trying everything. You know, yeah. Just it, and and um, yeah, my it's it's uh, and I think that that's the biggest issue we we face is is the engagement. And, and I think I think we need to accept the fact that there's always just going to be that small percentage that will just never get involved. They will just pay their dues and do their thing. I agree, and I, you know, people try to put them in boxes. You yeah. know, oh well, it's the more seasoned members who've been here, or it's the newer members, or it's the millennials. But yeah. it's really, I don't think that you can stereotype any group of members that are engaged or not engaged. I mean, some of my top producers are very active and right. come to our events and read right. our emails, and you know, some of our brand new members show up to our social right. activities, and some of our members who've been there for over forty years show up. That's right. But then you've got the whole you know, people who just don't care. That's Right. My white pianers are, I have a very active white pian group. I mean, it's, 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 you have all different types of people. Yeah. So it just doesn't matter. What advice would you give to a brand new AD community? 
I mean, the best advice is the advice I still try to give to myself is come at this with a servant's heart. I know it sounds cliche, but be there with the understanding that what you're doing is for the best interest of the members and try to take your personal ego out of it and focus on learning. Learning everything you can, take every class you can, and networking. I mean, um, that's a big thing for me with my staff is I also need to finance an asset to give me a budget for staff development. So I send them to an AR to AE Institute. They will rotate. They don't get to go to something every single year, but all of my staff in my any department involved on that level have been involved where they get to engage with their peers and get in these Facebook groups and connect with people who do what they do. And for me, that's been so helpful. This you know, AE Institute is one of my favorite conferences because it is a chance where I don't have to book a dinner or be planning somebody's schedule. I get to come here and focus on our business and networking with my peers and talk about the challenges that we are uniquely dealing with. Right. Many other people don't in this kind of situation, so we do. Yeah, this is our growth time. Thank you so much, Stephanie, Thank for you. being here today. It's, it's, been a awesome. yeah, it's been a joy talking to you. This is Divine Alara with an AE Story. Please listen for the next chapter.